Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're talking resurrection. Father, we are grateful for your blessing. We ask that you will watch over us and keep us and cause your face to shine upon us. We thank you, Lord, for yesterday's instruction concerning this truth and the blessings that follow the obedience of, of the child of God. We ask that you will just give us everything we need this day that we may be filled by the Word of God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, what a blessed day it was yesterday. Literally, uh, the blessing of, of coming together in obedience to the command of, of God and in not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, we receive such a message as, as what was taught in Numbers chapter 6, which if you were connected to yesterday's message from here at the Preacher's Corner, you would discover that it's why I always finish these broadcasts with that very blessing that was given in Numbers chapter 6. So, uh, something to look into anyways. You can go into the archives on this page. You can go to the recorded messages. You'll find it from yesterday, the 2nd of, or yeah, I think it was the 2nd of May, wasn't it? Yep, that's it. And other than that, we are in Luke Chapter number 24, you can head over there, Luke chapter number 24, beginning in verse number 1. Really exciting point that is made right off the bat there in verse number 1. We're reading down to verse number 12. Scripture says, But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices they had prepared. Now, before reading any further, we're, we are continuing from chapter number 23, the very end of the chapter, where the ladies of the the disciples were gathering together to dress the body of Jesus that was laid in the tomb with these spices to be able to honor his body. And it's kind of the way, the same thing that we would do with our embalming fluid to be able to uh, prepare the body for being laid in the in in a casket or laid in the tomb so they're they're making all of these different spices and everything and they're going to go and they they weren't able to do this for Jesus at the at the moment of his death because they had to rush him into the tomb to be able to satisfy the requirements of a sabbath service from the next day as began the feast of unleavened bread so they have been preparing all of these spices and everything else just to be able to take care of him as soon as the Sabbath was over and that they would be able to get back to it. So you'll find that on the first day of the week. Now, an interesting point of the first day of the week, of course, as we consider our own week today, which is the only week that we have to be able to work with. Of course, this week that we have today would be based on the same uh type of of weekday that they would have in Rome because our calendar comes from the Roman uh, Roman era that we follow Gregorian or Julian either way Julian being a, a day daily count just like the Hebrews would do and Gregorian being a weekly count like what we have in 52 weeks a year uh, but nevertheless, they, that was all invented and basically solidified by Rome, and the rest of the world nowadays follows either of those two calendars, except for the Jews, they have one more calendar that they follow, which is their religious one. And that's, that's the best one. I, my personal estimation is it was one that was given by God from the beginning. But nevertheless, 
we see that this first day of the week, as we calculate weeks, we understand that Saturday ultimately is a Sabbath, which would mean that it was the end of the week and that the first day of the week would then roll to Sunday. And, and so we discover that on, on Sunday at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. Now, this is going to come into play a little bit later because what you're going to discover is that the church began meeting on Sunday. Now, it's without question that Orthodox Judaism, based on the law of God, meets on Sabbath day because God established the Sabbath. I'll never argue that. It's revealed in Scripture. The Sabbath is spoken of in Leviticus 23 as one of the seven important feasts of God, a feast of His Word, weekly from the Sabbath. But we also know that Jesus made the statement before his death that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, not the Sabbath lorded over Jesus. So, very important to understand that if God chose to establish a day for his church that would be different than the day that, that Israel is called to meet, then certainly God can establish that. And Jesus, being Messiah, being the Son of God, has authority for his church, whereas whereas the Father ma maintains his authority over his chosen Israel, Jesus can establish any, anything he desires for his chosen, the church. And so you see the division, you see the difference, you see the, the ability for the first day of the week. And thus, it says, on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what happened. Now, Peter wasn't alone. Peter was with John. They took off running to the tomb. And there was a whole conversation that happened with Peter once he got there, as, as the angels that spoke to the the Marys and Joanna, the angel that spoke to them said, uh, "Who are you looking for, Peter?" Peter's like, "Where where's the body that that was put in here?" And he said, "Well, he's not here, for he's risen." So Peter and John had that that interaction that these ladies had, but you don't get the fullness of that because it's already spoken. And remember, the the Gospel of Luke doesn't doesn't go back over the things that had already been said by the apostles. The Gospel of Luke gives a narrative of the things that, that were uh, basically in a compilation of those things which were already written 
uh, and some of the things that that he he has knowledge of besides to be able to to enrich the gospels and that's pretty sweet but i thought it was pretty interesting that that on the first day of the week and of course this is going to come back to us in Luke 24 because the disciples are going to be in the upper room uh, when the two from the Emmaus road are going to come in that evening they're going to be in the upper room discussing this and it comes down and and so when they went they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus there's a couple of things that are pretty awesome the stone that's rolled away of course remember that the stone carried the seal of Caesar upon the rock and so Needless to say, this this would not be something that would be capable of moving. Why? Because you have two of the centurion guard that were standing by. And these guys are very proficient about killing. These guys are, are the uh, top guard of, of Rome in any province. And these guys could have easily snuffed out all the rest of the 11 apostles with, without any problem at all. And this stone would require all of the 11 apostles to be able to move because of the strength and weight of the stone and the fact that it, that it is dropped into the entrance hole of this particular tomb. It isn't something that's just smooth that rolls from one side to the other. It's, it's a kind of a bulbous shape to the, to the gate or to the door of the stone. It has one flat edge and then it bulges into a round to be able to fill and seal the, the, the hole of the entrance because you don't want any of the smell coming around the rock as people are passing by. And so it's, that's bad enough in itself. And, and you're talking about uh, thousands of pounds worth of rock that is, that is laid in the entrance of this tomb, requiring a lot of people to be able to move if, necess- if it was necessary to do so. So this, is, this isn't going to exactly be an easy feat for these 11 apostles, nor would it be for those ladies for certain. And so when the when the women come, they're they're looking for assistance. They're expecting help to be able to move that stone. They're not going to be able to do it, but they want to take care of the body of Jesus. When they get there, they discover it's already moved. Well, who in the world was strong enough to do that? These two men. In verse number four, it says, Two men stood by them dazzling in dazzling apparel. These two men were strong enough to do that, for they, they are called the ambassadors of God, the angels that came from heaven to, to minister and serve unto the Lord Jesus, who is now resurrected, who is now in his fullest estate of, of being God and man. It's pretty exciting. And and as they were frightened, they bowed down their faces, verse number five, to the ground. The men said to them, something so important we need to receive today. Why do you seek the living among the dead? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? If you've come to the place of the dead to search for Jesus, he's not here because he's not dead. He's among the living. And that's what I think is so so very interesting about the, the, the statement that is made in this place, but the statement that is often carried about, about cemetery today. 
when, when you consider cemeteries, oftentimes you'll find them more alive. The people, the people that grace the grounds of the cemetery is to be a people more alive than the people walking on top of the ground. And the reason why is because those who have gone on before us have entered into, provided that they know the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved by him, they've entered into the state of their immortality. They've entered into the state of their eternal life. They're no longer gripped by time. They're no longer gripped by pain, by suffering, by by illness. They're no longer gripped by the difficulties and struggles and trials and 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 difficulties and anxieties and, and depressions. They're not gripped by any of those things. They have been completely set free. And they're with, with Jesus there in the throne room of God. And so when you think about that, you, you just... You have to understand the statement of these angels when they, they when they ask you, why are you seeking the living among the dead? For they're not there anymore. They have risen. So very important to think about it because death is something we just don't understand. Death is something that that grips our soul, even to the, to the children of God. Death is something that grips them. They don't know they don't know how to respond to it. They don't know what to do with it, especially in our Western society where we have such a worship of life that death is is, is scares us so great. But the worship of life we have is the worship of the flesh. It's not the worship of the truth. For the children of God, as they have received Jesus Christ, can never die. It doesn't mean that this body isn't going to quit work and praise God one day it will. But in that this body of corruption and this this body of mortality, once once it's laid in a tomb or once it's even thrown in an oven and burned up in a fire, which takes an hour, what laying in a tomb takes a year to do, nevertheless, once that takes place, you see this this person, this life and spirit is set free. And and it's at that point of being a part of Jesus Christ and being set free that that death no longer has a hold on you because you you now have been ushered by these these men dressed in dazzling apparel you you've now been ushered into the throne room of God by these these ambassadors of the Lord these agents of mercy and they take you with them and to heaven you go heaven being that throne room of God, that scene we see in Revelation chapter 4, moving into chapter 5. But of course, if you know not the Lord and are not a part of His, then death does come for you, and death does take you, and death does, as an agent sent from God, drag your sorry soul straight down to the pits of hell where the suffering begins, and where... It will never end, for you will be coughed up from that place before the throne room of God in Revelation chapter 20 for a very short duration of judgment that you must face and feel only to be dumped into a lake of fire evermore to be in in torment. Just so you know, better to be a child of God, certainly. And no doubt these ladies were perplexed. But the the blessing of this whole section of Scripture is right there in verse number 5 on what he has to say to those ladies. Why do you seek the living among the dead? 
What have you come? It goes down, verse number six. He says, he's not here. He has risen. Remember? Now, this this is a tough spot right here because he's... It's funny about us Christians, but we work off of our remembrance, right? We work off of our memory. Oftentimes, we've learned things over and over and over again, but they just don't make sense to us, or they just don't come to us, or we haven't clicked with them until something happens in our life, and then all of a sudden, you, you hear that still, small voice, the Holy Spirit working inside of you saying, remember what God said here? Remember what God said in, in John? Remember what God said through Ezekiel? Remember what God said? Did you, don't you remember? It's unfortunate that we have to work off of that, but but this is this is shown to us in Luke chapter 24. These ladies, they work off the same way. And and this angel says, He's not here, he's risen. Don't you remember? <laughs> he said, How he told you while he was still in Galilee, he said that, that he had to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, that, that he had to be crucified, that on the third day he was going to rise. Don't you remember? Well, I don't. I don't necessarily think it was a matter of them forgetting what was said. I think it was a matter of them believing what was said. Now, and I think that's that's actually true for us today is because it's it's not a matter of remembering things. We we within our uh, own ways, we remember plenty of stuff, but those things which we hear that are so fantastical that we're not too sure that we could actually believe them are the things that get categorized in the no, no need to remember because it's not possible to happen kind of category in our minds. And so these angels are actually kind of buffeting these disciples, <coughs> pardon, by saying, don't you remember and the point is, is that these angels are saying he was right there with you. He told you these things. He, he, he told you everything you needed to know. And, and guys, how many times are we going to hear that when we get to heaven, I wonder? Look, he's told us everything we needed to know. The whole word of God from the, from the Tanakh to the Berit Hadashah to Old Testament to the New Testament for the whole testimony of, of Jesus is right there in our grasp. It's right there in our hands. He told us everything we needed to know. So wh what do we not get? What do we not understand? Don't we remember? Well, that's exactly what I was asking. He said, he's not here. He's, he's risen. Don't you remember that? He told you while he was still in Galilee. He told you he was going to be delivered into the hands of, of the Romans. He told you he was going to be crucified. But he also told you he was going to rise on the third day. Well, welcome to the third day. What do you not remember about that? And thus you see in verse number 8 that, that it now finally makes sense. That, that those ramblings of Jesus talking about his death that didn't make sense before, now they make sense said they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Hey, guess what? It, it, oftentimes when we think about these apostles or, or times where the apostles are spoken to, we, we just see these eleven. We don't, we don't realize that there was 120 that, that were following Jesus, these ladies combined. And, and when they came, they told the eleven, but who was with the eleven? But all the rest of the disciples. And what day is this that they're gathered together on? Oh, that's right. It's the first day of the week. And what day do we categorize as the first day of the week, which is very similar to the same week that they would have in, in their day as disciples? Sunday. That's right. So nevertheless, 
we understand that they're all gathered together. Not just the 11 trying to figure out what to do, but everybody that followed Jesus. His church. Imagine that. Now, the ladies that went, Mary Magdalene. Now, we understand Mary Magdalene. Mary is Martha's sister. That's Lazarus's sister, the same Lazarus that you had heard about with, with uh, John chapter 11, with the, with the illness that had sores whelping up on his body that the dog was licking, the same Lazarus that died, and that Jesus called out of the tomb to go back to work. That Lazarus, well, this is Mary Magdalene. Then we meet Joanna which is a pretty cool young lady. Then we meet Mary, the mother of James. Now, this Mary is Jesus' mom. And the reason why they call her the mother of James is because it's true. Mary is the mother of James. Mary is the mother of Judah, which, which is uh, Jude, the gospel of Jude. Both James and Jude would be the sons of Joseph, actual blood sons of Joseph. Uh, and, and though Mary did carry Jesus, not the same dad. Yeah, Jesus, his father was from heaven, and Jesus was supernaturally born into the womb of Mary through the Holy Spirit. So understand that, that though this James that is referred to by Mary here was half-brother, uh, but he, he, Jesus was from heaven and of God. So this is very important to understand. And the, the other women with them who told these things to the apostles, the other women. So it's very important to understand that, that it wasn't just Mary Magdalene. It wasn't just Joanna and Mary, Jesus's mom. There was a whole group of women that were going down there. And so it was asked of me the other day as concerning women in ministry. Uh, guys, you realize how many women were actually going to prepare the body and take care of the body of Jesus? Uh, they, they were ministering unto Jesus, and they were providing ministry that would be a regular ministry for the saints. Uh, so you understand that there is plenty of opportunity of ministry work for women in, in the service of the Lord, no question. And in fact, when you consider that these angels met with these women that would come to the tomb, that the women would be the first in line to, to bring back the gospel, by the way, and that the women would actually be proclaiming to the assembled saints known as the 11 apostles and the rest that were with them, and the women would bring the message of the angel, thereby bringing the message of God unto the, the upper room saints to tell them of the resurrected Jesus. I'd say it was pretty important ministry, don't, wouldn't you? And that's what these ladies did. It comes down, it says, but these words seem to them, seem to the the other ten apostles and the rest of the people that were in the upper room as these ladies told them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. These words seem to them an idle tale. In verse number 11, an idle tale. And they didn't believe them. Well, 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 wait a minute. Weren't you all there when you heard about Jesus saying that he was going to raise on the third day, that he was going to die in the hands of sinful man? Well, if the women remembered that, certainly the 11 apostles were there. All 12 apostles were there. Of course, Judas went and hung himself, but 
All 12 apostles were there. What, what about this did you not remember? Jesus said it was going to happen. And you won't believe them now? By the way, church, this, this is pretty familiar because oftentimes we preach about things and the church says, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, just like these guys. They say, whatever, you know, it's, it's fantastical. I don't know if I'm willing to believe all of that. I don't know if I'm willing to believe this or that or the other. I did, that sounds just a little bit too far-fetched for me. I don't think I'm going to follow that. That's exactly what happened. I mean, Jesus was only gone three days, and he had testified to all of these things that was going to happen. He, he explained everything to the disciples, and now that it's actually happened, now that Jesus has kept his word in every way, things have taken place the way, exactly the way, exactly the way he said it was going to be. Everybody said, yeah, I don't believe him. I don't believe him. Except for Peter. Now, John was with him on this one, but it isn't recounted here in Luke, but John was with him on this one. Peter, he jumped up, he took off running, and he stooped in and he looked in the tomb. He had to know. And he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. But, of course, we also understand through the Gospel of John that when Peter and John took off and he got to the tomb, that the same angels that spoke to Mary and Mary and Joanna and all of those ladies, the same angels that spoke to them, spoke to John. And, and, and even asked John, what, what are you looking for? And as they said, Jesus, then he said, well, he's not here, he's risen. You know, and, and you've got that whole scenario that is played out for Peter. And so as he, uh, in verse number 12, shows that he, he took off running from the tomb and stooping and looking in, he see these clothes. He went home marveling at what had happened. You understand that this was a scenario where, where even, even Peter is trying to process the, the reality of a resurrection that even though he had saw Jairus' daughter at 12 years of age get up from the dead, and even though he had saw Lazarus, who had been four days dead, get up from the tomb, get fed, and go back to work, it's still hard-pressed for him to, to accept that this is possible to have taken place, that Jesus could have risen. So, comes down on the road to Emmaus, which is really exciting because first first people on the scene to discover the risen Jesus are the ladies. The second people on the scene to discover Jesus is, is Peter and John. But the third folks that would come on the scene to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, but in such a framework that could not be denied at all, would be these two gents that were walking down the road going to the village that's called Emmaus, which, of course, is a seven-mile journey that is separated from Jerusalem as, as they're heading out. So, verse number 13, as we follow these guys, that, that very day, the very day, first day of the week, very day that the ladies were perplexed and that Peter is sitting at his house wondering what's going on, that very day, two of them, the disciples, by the way, were going to a village named Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Look at verse number 16. That's pretty sweet. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, was it that Jesus disguised himself as being in a heavenly estate now, he can pretty well 
do whatever he wants because he's not bound by human uh, characteristics anymore. He's of the heavenly estate once again. Or were they so devastated by the things that they they knew at the moment about Jesus and the death and, and, and burial and resurrection? Were they so devastated about everything that was going on in their heart at this point of time that that this gent that was walking up beside them didn't catch their eye, didn't catch their ear, and they they were just boggled by a great many things and didn't pay attention. I think the latter is is more to be the case than the former. There's been plenty of times where you've had somebody walk up beside you and you just began talking to them as though you knew who the person was. And as you were talking to them, when you wanted to hear uh, a response back, you looked over your shoulder to to see what they'd have to say and then discovered, oh, that's not who I thought it was. <laughs> now, that's happened to me plenty of times. I don't know if it's happened to you. But, but if it has, then you understand these guys walking to the Emmaus Road as they're struggling through the thoughts of what's happened in this, this particular weekend as it was. And so as he, as he comes up alongside of them in verse number 17, it says, uh, said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? As they stood still looking sad. And, well, they stood still looking sad. Now, it's pretty important to understand that it, in this politically charged moment, to be recognized as a disciple of Yeshua or of Jesus is, is not going to go down well. Of course, any of the people who were recognized as disciples easily could have been rounded up. They could have been thrown in jail. They could have been uh, killed during this weekend. And there there was pretty much a free-for-all from the Jewish community to go attack these, these Jesus followers. So it, it's these guys, they were talking with each other, but they wouldn't be talking in a, in a voice that would be loud enough for the community at large to be able to hear. Uh, as it was, they were using their library voice. And if you've ever been to a library that had an active shusher, <laughs> I, I was at a library not too long ago where, where I was speaking a, just a touch too loud, apparently, and I got shushed. And so if you have an active shusher in your library, you'll understand that it's necessary for you to use your library voice. (laughs) Not even your inside voice, your library voice. And so these guys were operating under a library voice as they were kind of murmuring among each other, talking about the events, trying to process what had happened in their week. And Jesus slides up alongside of them. Now, that's initially going to cause alarm for them because they don't know if this is an agent of Rome. They, they don't know anything about this person because he's caught them off guard. He's just kind of come up on them and then begun to talk to them. So they're not too sure exactly how to process this guy. And he says, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And of course, they're like, uh, how much do we say? And so Cleopas answers Jesus and he says, uh, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? <laughs> are you the only person that doesn't know what's happening? You're asking us what's going on? I mean, and this this is an inquiry that, that Cleopas would give because it just doesn't make sense that this person doesn't know what's going on, which would mean uh, in his heart, no doubt, at the first, that this is an agent of Rome. They're trying to find out, okay, what exactly are you talking about, and what are you explaining to each other? Because if it's dealing with the crucifixion, then we're 
we're ultimately going to arrest you as being a person who has stolen the body of Jesus. Because keep in mind, those two guards, when they went back and said that these, these men, they opened the tomb and knocked us out, and they, remember that the, the Sanhedrin court said, you have to make up a lie. You, and, and Rome said, we've got a lie to be able to cover this up. He could possibly be resurrected. That they were accusing the, the saints, they were accusing Jesus' disciples of stealing the body. So if, if Cleopas and his partner are sitting there talking about Jesus and an agent of Rome slides up beside them and hears them discussing the events and, and connects them to Jesus, bam, you're arrested and you're the patsy and you're going to die for it. So needless to say, when Jesus slides up beside these guys, of course, they don't know it's Jesus and that's kind of a comedy in itself, but he's asking these questions. And Cleopas says, are you the only person in Jerusalem that doesn't have any ideas to what was, what's happening here? And Jesus said, what things? <laughs> of course, now it's kind of difficult for him to talk about the death of somebody that's standing right there talking to him, isn't it? It's kind of difficult to talk about uh, all of these different things, just like he said at verse number 19. He says, what things? Uh, Jesus did, and they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up and condemned him to death and, and crucified him. But we hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We hoped for the Redeemer. And yet he was delivered up to be killed. He says, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning. Now this is where Cleopas could have got himself in trouble had Jesus truly been an agent of Rome because he's about to testify to the reality that, that Jesus was missing, that Jesus had risen, and that these ladies had, had been there. And of course, if, if Jesus had been an agent of Rome, it would have been all that they needed in order to be able to arrest them, uh, bring the whole of Jesus' followers before to trial, and, and kill them all. But he goes on and he testifies, and he says, well, we'd hope that he'd been the one to redeem Israel, but, but besides this... It is now the third day since these things happened, and some of the women of our company amazed us that they went to the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. I mean, it's just, it's just shocking, it's baffling to them. And Jesus, this, this is great, Jesus looks at them and he says, Foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You foolish people. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Was it not spoken that this would be a necessity? Didn't Jesus already explain this to you? It's exactly what the angels said to, to the ladies, wasn't it? He said, don't you remember? Jesus told you all of these things. Don't you remember? Now Jesus himself is personally dealing with these disciples. <coughs> he says, don't you remember? How foolish you are to, and slow to believe. 
And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now you can imagine in a seven-mile journey that you're getting a personalized instruction of every place in the scripture from Moses, which is the book of Genesis, all the way through to, to the book of Malachi at this point. All of the things that were, were written, the prophecies of Scripture concerning Jesus. And, and they still didn't get who, who they were talking to. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And he acted, Jesus acted as though he was just going to keep on walking. But the men urged him and, and begged him to stay with them, for it was evening and the day is far spent. So he went to stay in with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and he blessed it. He broke it. He gave it to them. And then, now look at them, verse number 31. Then their eyes were opened. They, they got it. They knew. They, they realized who they talked to. Their eyes were open. They recognized him and he was gone. Vanished from their sight. Well, Jesus isn't gripped by the finite things anymore. He isn't gripped by by time. He isn't gripped by spatial distance or any of those other things. He isn't gripped by 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 the laws of of creation that he had made because now he he is outside of those things and and coming in among them. So he's not bound to them. And so he poop he's vanished from their sight. And they they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? So I think that's why Cleopas would go on to explain the ladies going to see him, to explain who he was. That If if this had been an agent of Rome, it would have been enough to have arrested him. But, But somehow Cleopas knew this man. Somehow Cleopas knew that it was okay to carry on. Why? Because our hearts burned within us. While he talked with us on the road, while he opened us the scriptures, it burned within us. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and, and they found eleven, the eleven and those that were with them gathered together, and, and they shouted, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known in the breaking of the bread. So exciting. Uh, we're going to pick up with verse number 36 tomorrow and, and finalize this chapter by looking at the, the reality of Jesus' entrance unto the disciples and the command that Jesus gives to his disciples as concerning the works that they're called to do. Uh, a lot of great things that, that are going to be happening here and all of it taking place when? The first day of the week. So something to think about. Father, we are grateful for everything that you have done, for the instruction that you have given, for your resurrection, and for your connection with your disciples. Lord, you, you love us, you speak with us, you reveal yourself to us, you, you make known your will to us through the Word of God, you, you speak to us, Lord, and the Holy Spirit, it brings it all together to life. Now we thank you so much for being willing to lay in that tomb. We thank you so much for for just what you've done for us. And Father, we can't thank you enough for sending Jesus to die on our behalf. Lord, we have come to the position where we understand that we weren't worthy of that gift. 
but you so loved us that you were willing to give that gift to us. We thank you, Lord. We praise you for all that you have done and ask for your blessing upon us this day in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Guys, God bless you, keep you, and cause his face to shine upon you. And I'll catch you tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Take care now.